Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hey guys, hope you're all keeping safe during this pandemic. I know there are a lot of COVID cases right now and if you're a junior doctor in Victoria and needing some support or someone to talk to, I'm here for you. Uh, Feel free to send me a message either through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or via email. I'd be more than happy to be a listening ear and support you through this difficult time. Now today we have an amazing speaker on the show. Well, it was recorded a while ago, but you know what I mean. It is Dr. Hashim Abdeen. He is the current chair of the AMA Council of Doctors in Training. And he talked to me about medical leadership and how to get involved in it. So if you've always been curious about what it's like to be a medical leader, this is the episode to listen to. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Dr. Hashim Abdeen. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner. Very excited to be involved. Um, as I mentioned before, we started officially recording it. You know, I've been listening to your show for a while, so it's very, I guess, a surreal feeling to be interviewed today and I'm very grateful for you to have me. Oh, thanks, Hash. I'm excited to have you on the show. So let's jump right into our first question. Um, for our listeners who haven't had a chance of you know, or the pleasure of getting to know you. Can you please tell them a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I'm a PGY6 advanced trainee. I'm dual training in rheumatology and general medicine up in Townsville this year. Um, Prior to that, I did all my training in the Gold Coast and med school there um, along with you back in the day. And before that, I grew up in Melbourne. So it's been a little bit of a change coming up here, but I'm, you know, I think I'm enjoying Queensland and probably wouldn't go back. (laughs) (laughs) Once you've tasted our warm weather, you can't go back. It's definitely a thing, yes. I, the other day I had degrees and I was cold and some people were laughing at me for doing that. <laughs> so I'd also like to start off by saying, before I ask you the next question, congrats on becoming the chair of AMA uh, Council of Doctors in Training. Yeah, thank you. Definitely kind of still feels kind of unreal that I'm doing this role. I mean, when you, when you start as a junior doctor and you look at these kind of higher up figures, um, you don't feel that you could ever attain those positions, I guess. And I think I definitely have and still have a little bit of imposter syndrome, uh, which I think was one of your podcasts anyway. So I think, you know, it's kind of slowly fading, I think, with more experiences that I'm getting. But I guess that's what I wanted to talk to you guys all about today, which is, you know, medical leadership and leaders within medicine, which I think sometimes you can get these kind of imposter syndrome Mm. and, you know, hard to break through. But when once you get there, I think, and you see other people that you can relate to, um, I think it makes it much easier. So you mentioned, you know, medical leadership. Let's just wind back the clock a bit and talk about how did your interest in medical leadership start in the first place? Yeah. So I think I've always been involved with leadership to some extent, uh, which I think doesn't surprise people who know me. I was school captain way back in the day, um, way, way back in the day now. And then kind of just build on those leadership roles throughout my career. So during medical school, I was the president of the MedSoc MSSBU um, at Bond University. 
Um, and then kind of took on quite a few different roles throughout, I guess, my uh, medical profession until I reached, I guess, this role, which I'm currently in. So I think in terms of how it probably my interest started, probably it had to do with, I guess, figuring out that there was things that I was seeing wrong about, things that needed to improve. And I didn't feel, I guess, as an individual junior doctor or individual medical student that I could make those changes very easily. And so I looked for, I guess, avenues or platforms that I could be on that would help invoke those changes. And I think that's what we all see really in medicine as junior doctors. I mean, we see what's wrong in the hospitals every day or in general practice or anywhere, you know what I mean, that's going on. And we know exactly some potentially the solutions to these that it would be simple solutions, but I think sometimes get blown out out of proportion. And I really think that's where we need to focus, keep it simple. And I think we kind of talk about this all the time. But I guess that's kind of what first started me. So I used to see things, you know, like junior doctors being bullied or medical students being bullied or, you know, interns being told not to claim overtime because... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're new and that's part of the job. You need to learn so you shouldn't get paid for learning. You know, these things you see um, all the time and there's no changes that I was seeing happening. And I think that's why I wanted to be in roles such as roles like yours, you know, um, you know, making sure people know about what's going on and finding the solutions to advocate for them. So I think that's kind of the biggest reason I got into leadership and it's kind of kept me going through my career so far. It's great to have people like you around, you know, championing for the rest who don't really have a voice. So how did you get involved with AMA? Like, what does the process of getting onto? Yeah, so I have to say, and this is probably common to a lot of junior doctors that I talk to who are not AMA members in general, that I kind of wasn't really involved with the AMA that much at all. So I was invited to be a part of the AMA Queensland Council of Doctors in Training um, as president of my medical student society. And that was kind of on the peripheries, really. And you got to have a look at, as, as a medical student, what the AMA is for the first time. To be honest, though, I think I wasn't very impressed at the start in terms of I kind of get this feeling and I speak to a lot of other doctors in training um, and medical students about what the AMA is and what they mean to them. And I think people get lost that needs to be part of the AMA. And I think I was also kind of confused about what the AMA did for me and what I could do for them and how I could be involved. So my career in the AMA actually started very much from the peripheries where I was an outsider looking on the inside and thinking, right. well, this is very opaque, non-transparent. Yeah. Sometimes the groups feel a bit clicky. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, we all see that as well. And you kind of think, oh, it's the same people who did AMSA and the same people who did yes. AMA. And you kind of like, well, I didn't do that much in AMSA. So how can I be this big AMA person? I think that was perhaps a perception of mine that was probably a fallacy because then I started to get more involved but again, through a peripheral route. So um, for those of you who don't know, um, the JMO forums between each of the states, the Junior Medical Officer Forums, I was lucky to start internship and get involved with a couple of committees there. And then that led me on to being JMO Forum rep and just happened to be during that time that there's a rotational kind of chair that goes around for the, the national chair or binational chair for New Zealand and Australia. Mm -hmm. And it was Queensland turn. So I became the national chair suddenly or binational chair of this ah. organisation. Yeah. And again, through that role, you get invited to sit on the federal AMA Council of Doctors in Training. And then again, by just being around these people, I started to realize that my perceptions that I had before about, you know, what the AMA was and who these people were with, you know, I kind of thought they're all kind of people with egos and whatnot, who kind of <laughs> running this kind of dictatorship, you know, that was antiquated and whatnot, I think really changed. And I really found people who were like me, who just really wanted to do 
good things and really weren't in it for themselves. They were in it for the medical profession and their colleagues. And most of these people in these leadership positions are people, thankfully, who haven't had bad things happen to them. And that may be a personality thing you know, where they haven't been bullied because they're able to stand up for themselves. But I think what the unique part of those people is that they're able to empathise with colleagues who have and really can see what the issues are and be able to advocate for them, even though they haven't been necessarily involved. But so I guess that what that really speaks to is being a good representative, isn't it? Yes. So you're, you're able to see and feel what people are doing and you're able to represent their views. But at the same time, you're being, by being a good representative to bring it back to the people and mm. you know, let them know what's going on to that kind of close loop feedback. I guess that's how I kind of started to see the value in the AMA and the ability to make change um, was there. And it wasn't this kind of clicker group. And I'm very keen as chair now being someone who was probably on the outside of the AMA and now being very central to the AMA, kind of bringing that with me and mm-hmm. that notion that once upon a time I wasn't, you know, the chair and I wasn't in this position. I was an outsider and I kind of have to feel and show people what that can be um, because then I guess people can come along and be brought along. And I guess um, I am, it's only been two months since I'm in this role and I'm planning this whole restructure of CDT um, because oh. I really want it to be accessible to all DITs. If you're a DIT in any state, in any region, whether that be very far remote and rural um, or metropolitan, um, depending on what stage of your training is, I really want anyone to be involved where they can be involved. I mean, and that's the funnest part. I mean, the other thing about DITs is our ability to contribute waxes and wanes depending on where we are professionally, but also personally. And when we're in a time period where we're trying to do family planning or professionally we're sitting yeah. exams. So our ability to contribute to advocacy and things we care about kind of goes up and down. And yeah. unless, you know, the thing is at the moment, the way you contribute is you have to be a chair of your state. Right. And not everyone can be that dedicated all the time. It's a lot of work, I have to mm. say. I just kind of want to give DRTs that, you know, transparency to be involved and kind of expandedly more inclusive. So that's kind of where I'm taking CBT, given just my own personal perceptions initially. Yeah. You know, I really related when you mentioned those things that um, the initial perception before you got into, you know, being part of the council of doctor in training is that AMA doctors or like those on the council are very clicky or, you know, it's like almost like an exclusive invite only type thing. And um, I think this perception or this myth still exists and I'm really glad to hear that you're trying to you know break that wall down and make it more transparent and involve more doctors because at the end of the day the bigger the sample size the the better of an idea you're going to get of what um, doctors who are out there working what their experiences are and how you're going to help them so can you just give us like maybe a bit of a clue or hint? I know it's something that you're working on, how that's going to be achieved. Yeah. I mean, I think I truly believe that all doctors are leaders. I think we have leadership skills both in the workplace and, you know, I mean, that whether that be an intern and you're suddenly in a medical situation and everyone looks to you suddenly, which obviously gives you, you know, the fear of God inside you. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, those skills are translatable into these kind of, you know, opportunities and committees and things like that because, I mean, and I guess it's also translatable back. Um, in terms of giving you a snippet about how I think, I think this is my personal thoughts and obviously the process needs to go through approval and things, but I think that, Lots of junior doctors and doctors in training, they have specific advocacy interests and passions, right? So not everybody is 
um, interested in everything, mm-hmm. or passionate about everything, and that's okay. I mean, and so you know, you see, you know, the Jeff Two Goods of the world doing yeah. um, well-being initiatives. I mean, and then you see, you know, different organisations like the JMO Forums and um, you know people who are advocates for education and training doing that. And then, of course, there's the industrial things and the overtime, and you know, and so there's lots of different areas. And so that's what I'm planning to to develop, which is special interest groups. Okay. So people who don't necessarily want to be involved with everything yep. and know everything about everything, which is really mm-hmm. hard as a junior doctor as well. Yes. Um, you can tailor your advocacy to a special interest group if you want to. Mm-hmm. So that's one, I guess, way. Um, the other way is we're planning to get advisory committees um, up. And particularly the one that I'm interested in is the general practice community because I think GP trainees in particular are very much undervalued and COVID has definitely highlighted the issues with general practice, unfortunately. Um, And I think their voices are sometimes unheard, um, especially trainees. So I think there's quite a few higher-up GP um, supervisors and their voices get heard, but I think sometimes trainee voices get missed out. And I think there's particular issues around general practice trainees. Um, so that'll be one of the kind of key advisory committees that I focus on. Um, but really, the biggest thing with this is that it's going to be open to any DIT in Australia. Mm. You know what I mean? So yep. any DIT, if you're involved, if you have the inkling that you may be involved, then, you know, I would suggest when the applications come through later this year um, to just apply, you know what I mean? Because this is the first time that you're able to advocate for issues on a national level. Yeah, um, and make the change that you know we all kind of know needs to happen. Great, and you have already answered a bit of the next question, but just in case you have anything else to add to it, uh, do you have any advice for our aspiring junior doctor or medical student listeners on how to get involved? So, like you said, you know, AMA is going to open up to all de- uh, doctors in training, and what about if they are really nervous because they haven't had any prior experience and wasn't involved in any committees during medical school? Okay, so I guess my advice for aspiring junior doctors and medical students is really to figure out what drives you. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, as I've moved more senior in medicine, I'm, I mean, PGY6 is not that senior, but it feels very old to me. Um, <laughs> the, the people I looked up to, I realised the people who have found passions in medicine that are related to medicine. I mean, obviously having you know hobbies and external hobbies is really good, but I think the people who are really great at the clinical work and that I kind of really aspire to, all those consultants that you look at and you think, oh, how are you still you know, so great and caring for patients? It's because they've found something that to be passionate about within medicine. Mm. And so obviously we're talking about medical leadership today, um, but you know, there's things like research or education and training, and you find the people you know the consultants were doing lots of research are very kind of you know found their passion in that but it's related to medicine or education and training those who really want to teach interns or medical students and you know go on to be deans of medical schools whatever it is and they're yes. also great and the same thing with medical leaders i find that it helps you process the day-to-day work right um and i think the biggest thing for me is that you know and you probably know dana as well as you go through the system you see so many problems in the system and so many things that challenge you and push you back, mm. both as a doctor, but also for your patients as well. Mm-hmm. You really see the inequities sometimes. And I think having that ability or that platform to kind of enact change really keeps me kind of grounded at work as well and realise, okay, this is an issue that, you know, I can raise to my, you know, state-based AMA or federal AMA if I need to. And then I would see it happen 
see how it changes. And I think advocacy is slow sometimes, but being a part of the AMA has actually made me realise how quick it can be and how change can happen very quickly if you, you know, pull the appropriate leaders and do what you need to do to change. Um, the other biggest thing I wanted to, I guess, advise and encourage junior doctors is sometimes we don't see diversity in leadership as much uh, um, yep. as we need to. And I think um, that relates to diversity across the board, whether that being female or male, uh, you know, uh, Caucasian or non-Caucasian, yep. um, sexual orientation. I mm. think more and more we're realising that juniors look up to people above them and realise, okay, if there's someone I can relate to, then, you know, I can be that person too one day. You know? yep. And same thing with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leadership. We need more of that. Um, mm-hmm. We need more doctors in general from the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community. Yep. But I think the only way to encourage those things is by having people visible who mm-hmm. are leaders in that sphere and then people relate to them and kind of want to be involved. Yes. So I think that's a huge thing for me in terms of my platform as well, I guess. I was speaking to one of the AMSA presidents recently and I think even she had been one of the first ethnic you know, chairs um, for oh, AMSA wow. and same for TDT, I think, you know, there hasn't been many, I guess, ethnic people involved. Um, and so it's nice to have a diverse group. And I have yes. to say that Council Doctors in Training is probably an example of how diverse we can be with so many. We have, I think, almost 60 or 70% of our, our chairs being female. Yeah. And so it's great to be able to see that and that diversity um, amongst the group. Yeah, I really like the point you made there, Hash, because I'm pretty sure not too long ago, AMA was mostly consisted of your typical Caucasian males. Not that there's specifically anything wrong with that in itself, except that it's hard for juniors to be something that they haven't seen. So like you said, it, it it is important for them to be able to look up to and they often tend to relate to someone that's of maybe similar gender or ethnic background, things like that. So I'm really glad to hear that, um, you know, AMA is being more inclusive. Definitely. I think so, I mean, to the point where we're analysing every committee's structure now and so we're looking at everything from um, gender, like I mentioned, to, you know, to ethnicity and everything like that and there's a basically a committee that's formed called the Gender Equity Inclusion and Diversity Committee, which looks at basically a plan for the AMA to expand into this area and also a report that we'll be releasing annually so that the public can see what we're doing so we're held accountable to it. So I think these are the things that really enact change because it's fair enough to say, oh, we need more females or we need more things, but what are you going to do about it? And I think that's the biggest thing. It's about putting your money where your mouth is, really. Yeah. Oh, Hash, I can't wait to see the amazing things that you're going to do as the new chair of uh, AMA Council of Doctors in Training. We're coming to our final question. So you are a very busy person, you know, being a fellow dual trainee and also being this chair of Council of Doctors in Training. Can you please share with us how do you keep yourself sane in your crazy busy life? Funny enough, I think that one of the things that keeps me sane is being in this role. (laughs) which is funny. Um, I think it's because it helps me enact my passion, you know, for change. And I think if you're able to find something in medicine that, you know, that you're passionate about, and this is one of those for me, it kind of keeps me balanced, like as I mentioned. And I think, you know, someone mentioned, I think, and I don't know if it was on your podcast maybe, about work-life balance and kind of this fallacy that work-life balance is really. And, um, you know, because the thing is you can find passion and balance by being at work sometimes, um, yep. although I've chosen the life of rheumatology very specifically because it's a very 
good job for myself <laughs> if anyone's looking for that. Um, but I think, you know, again, it just really motivates me is these tap holes. Um, and, I mean, COVID-19 has been a very kind of unique situation where I think, you know, it really has highlighted the issues for medicine. It's highlighted the fact that medical leaders are respected. I mean, if you look at all the chief medical officers from all around the country, um, and the, st- the federal chief medical officers as well, the government is really listening to doctors and they want doctors to be medical leaders. And all of the people listening here today are doctors, medical leadership qualities mostly. You know what I mean? I think yeah. your, vo- your voice is the most important voice and COVID has heard that, really. So I think being able to share my voice definitely keeps me going in terms of the way, you know, my passions go. My second thing, of course, and I think most people say this, uh, but it's definitely my partner, my family and my friends who support me through these roles. Uh, It's not easy studying for exams and doing all these roles. Uh, And my partner and my friends and family have been great supporting me. Um, So I think I'm very grateful for them. But it also gives me a very good outlet to talk to them about my frustrations at the end of the day. If something I was advocating for didn't go ahead or, you know, whatnot. And so I get really angry and passionate about these things. So it's nice to have people who listen to this and kind of calm me down and pat me on the back at the end of the day. (laughs) I'm really glad to hear that you have a good support network, Hash. Thanks, Data. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom and knowledge with us about how to get involved with the AMA for those of our listeners who are interested. Thanks, Dana. I guess I just wanted to say at the end is just to anyone who's listening, believe in yourself because I think, you know, sometimes we don't do that and we don't think we can do these roles, but we really can. I mean, the best advocate for junior doctors or medicine is you because you know what it's like and you know what's happening out there as I mentioned multiple times through the interview so I encourage just put your hand up and I think you know there's always going to be somewhere you can go um, in terms of you know being passionate about medical leadership so yeah thank you Dana if you really like that episode please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out and don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode 